Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that was shed. Father, without it, we are doomed. We are destined for hell. And you saved us. All to you. All to you. Father, we look to you tonight. Speak to our hearts. Change us. May your spirit drive deep. And leave only what remains to be Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. In the movie, As Good As It Gets, Melvin, the character played by Jack Nicholson, has been diagnosed with a very significant, significant form of OCD. Any OCD people in there? Well, actually, you don't have to raise your hand. Your, parent, your family knows who you are. Um, you know, did I turn off the lights? Is the oven still on? Um, does anybody have any hand sanitizer? Right? But Melvin's was truly debilitating. And one day he tries to just drop into his psychiatrist's office unannounced for a meeting. And his doctor will not see him. And so he storms out of the office. And that was the scene you just saw. He speaks to all these other people who have these emotional, these psychological issues that they've come into. And they are wrecked in a variety of different reasons. And he looks at them and says, is this really all that there is? What is if this is as good as it gets. And that's really the million dollar question for millions of people around our globe. Is this is as good as it gets? Is there something more than this? And we look at the headlines and we see Iran and Syria and ISIS and a suicidal German pilot and a Kenyan college attack. And that's just the top five stories, right, of the week. But Then we've got the stories that don't make the national headlines. We've got the stories about the divorce that seems impending or the kids that just really are far more rebellious than they are interested in obedience. The addiction that is secretly destroying everything. The fear of being alone. The creditors. The unpaid bills. The thought that I may not have my job tomorrow. The fear of this disease that is destroying my body, the grief that just doesn't go away. And in this world, with all that we face from day in and day out, even if we don't hear it aloud, isn't that the question on so many people's hearts and minds? What if this is as good as it gets? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that mint that you were given when you walked in. And, and some of you may not be into mints, and I'm not going to tell everybody you have to take a mint. We haven't done anything to the mints, all right? It's just a mint, all right? But I'm going to invite you at this time to just unwrap it. And you know what? We're going to all unwrap it together so it's just a beautiful cacophony of plastic, right? And just pop it in your mouth. And in a minute, we're going to hear those who are chewing and those who are letting it just kind of, you know, take its time. And in Philip Yancey's book, Where is God When It Hurts?, he describes the funeral custom in some places of Africa. Where when the casket is there and they are about to lower it in the ground, the friends and family come around it and they all take a mint And they put it in their mouth, just as you did. And in that very solemn moment at that funeral, that mint is meant to symbolize that life is short. That in a moment, it'll be gone. 
and then it's over. Ever pop in a peppermint and you think, wow, this one right here that I just got, I'm really unlucky. Like, I think it might have been in the bowl for like 15 years. Or if you're in my house, you know, you got the one last piece of candy and you unwrap it and you put it in and you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Somebody else has already had this once and they've they've rewrapped it for me. It's special. Thank you. And, you know, as funny as that is, the, the reality is. Many of us, even in this room, in this moment on Easter weekend, think Wow, the hand that I've been dealt, the mint of this life that I have is so unfair. I mean, why did she get to marry him? Why did he get to spend his life with her? I mean, the kids, look at their kids. Have you seen my kids? Where are my kids? Is that fire I smell? And we look at Facebook and we see other people's kids and all the pictures and all the places they've been. And we go, why don't I have time to go to those places? And they're all smiling. Nobody smiles on vacation. And what we don't see is on the flip side, the person who's taking those pictures and then posting them on Facebook and thinking about the next trip that they're going to post. And in the back of their mind wondering, is this All there really is, is this is as good as it gets. And so on Monday, in just a little over, less than two days, I leave for another trip to Cuba. And I'm going to be training some church leaders there on both sides of the country. And it's a country where communism has just been reigning and ruling since 1959, right? And the people there are still hurting And even though American tourism may really become quite the reality one day, the country is still suffering in so many ways. But for the Cuban Christians that we meet with, who just like all the rest of their Cuban counterparts, get two bags of beans, five bags of rice, five eggs. I mean, I was at Sam's this week where you could buy like eggs by the box full, right? They get five eggs and one chicken leg a month. And I, and I look at them and I see this amazing joy, this amazing hope. And it's not a hope that one day they will have a Starbucks on every corner. All of that may happen. It's actually a hope in spite of consumerism, in spite of having it all. It's actually a hope that goes much deeper. It's not a hope tied to this world at all. Not to this world. This world that we look at in Scripture, this world of 2,000 years ago, where prayers were being prayed in the garden. Let me just pause for a second here and say, listen, you're doing worship here corporately in this context, and that is fantastic. If you have not taken the time to go sign up online and go through the journey of the cross, I would highly encourage you to do that. Maybe take some time tomorrow and do that with your family. It's over here in West Point. Our student ministry has put together and it is it is truly amazing it is worth your time and in that journey they experience they allow you to walk through and experience moments like this where the disciples then 
in that moment or asleep at the wheel. You remember that? And Jesus is arrested and there's confusion and chaos. And Peter proves that he's really an awful aim and cuts off the ear of the guard when he's probably aiming for his neck. And then we have Mark 14, 50, a true high point for the disciples. Then everyone deserted Jesus and fled. I mean, Jesus spent a great deal of time with these guys. He told them what was going to happen. He had been preparing them really ever since he met them. And Peter, James, and John, even more so, can you say Mount of Transfiguration for Pete's sake? And while we're on Pete, Peter, the rock, Peter, the one who says, no, Jesus, I'll never, I'll never, ever leave you, ends up disowning him, denying him three times. Mark 14, 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. And then Jesus is crucified and the stone is set in front of the tomb. And preparations are made for his burial And we get to Matthew 27. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The stone is in place And Mary and Martha are sitting there just looking, just watching. Mary and the other Mary, that is. Can you imagine what what thoughts they're going that are going through their mind at that time? There's nothing in Scripture to indicate that they are sitting there with great anticipation. Here he comes. He's coming. He's coming. They are in sorrow mode. Grief-stricken, it's over. I mean, yeah, sure, he brought Lazarus out, but what happens when the miracle worker himself is dead and in the grave? Now what? Life had been filled with so many ups and downs for them. If those ladies were to just begin to think through all the stories that they had heard and all the things that they had experienced themselves, feeding of the 5,000, that was just the men, not including the women and the children. Lepers cleansed, eyesight returned, legs walking again. Lazarus, dead man walking, right? And we're not talking zombie. The seas calmed, the parables taught, and they were challenged. And the people were loved. Let the children come unto me. The religious leadership was challenged and even rebuked. And it wasn't all hunky-dory though, right? Because Jesus spoke some things that even caused his family and friends to go, what? What did you say about love? Life was still hard. He had said things they didn't understand. At the end of it all, they had left everything to follow him, but they had not moved on up to the east side with a deluxe apartment in the sky. They they actually had not now, they did not now have servants carrying them around from place to place because their feet were tired. They did not all now own some wonderful Gulfstream G650. Life was still hard. And now life was more confusing than ever. 
Because here, hear this. Here's the Messiah. He's come to do it. And what happens? He's gone. He's off the scene now. And you know what? The Romans are still in control. The oppression is still felt. And crazy enough, have you ever thought about this? The people who were healed, the people who were dead and risen to life, eventually, they all died. And what time would prove is that Jesus had not come to give immortality in this life. Disease had not been eradicated from the earth, and the tears that those women felt were real. And the disciples were scared. What they had prayed for and what they had hoped for, the Messiah, the hope. And now, if the band were here, you could cue the music. Now, the crescendo begins. Now, it starts to begin to get louder and louder, just as some of those beautiful worship songs we just sang. And we enter into Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus himself, not the angel, but Jesus himself met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Because you see, the creator and author of life had just himself defeated death. Redeeming hope. Now, here, in this moment, with these ladies in this story and with us now. Now, we need to talk about this and we need to kind of work through a couple of definitions here. Because Redeeming Hope was on the little pamphlet that we sent out to a bunch of homes. And it's on the front of your worship folder, I believe. What does it mean? To redeem, to buy back, to free, to atone, to restore. It's the reality that we owe a debt that we cannot pay. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And the bad news gets piled on even more. Because what Romans 3.23 says... For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this is our redemption. The debt against us, what we owe because of our sins, is not simply canceled. It's not just that it's written off in a business transaction. No, it is actually fully paid by the life and blood of the perfect Lamb, Son of God. 
It's the ransom by which we are offered deliverance from the sins that enslave us and from the consequences of our sin, which are an eternity separated from God. Now let's just pause for a minute and I'm going to take you all the way back to 9 o'clock this morning when I was at a soccer game with Riley, my 11-year-old, and we're sitting there watching the game. Actually, I'm standing because I can't sit down while the game's going on. And I'm standing there next to one of her coaches, Eric, and, and, and we're talking a little bit, and we're talking about the team they're playing. And this team they're playing is the best in the league. I mean, it is by far the, the, the best. They haven't lost a game in over a year. And Riley's team is pretty good. I mean, they're undefeated as well. Now, they've had two ties, but, you know, they're undefeated. And they're in this game, and they're in it to win it, and they're trying, and there's some mistakes here, and they've got some players who weren't able to come and everything, and it's not their very best game, and they end up losing two to nothing. And at the very end of the game, I'm thinking, you know what? What I just saw on the field is, at at our team's very best, they could have taken that team. They could have done it. I really believe they could have won. Matter of fact, I think on another day, when all of our team is present, and we're playing 100%, and that team's maybe not at 100%, we could take them. (laughs) And you know what's crazy? It hit me. That's unfortunately how a lot of us feel, that you know what? We can maybe get good enough here. We can do enough. We can do enough to get to God. We can do enough to get enough check boxes accomplished to where we can find our way to salvation. And what God says is no. That's the reason why the cross is there with my son on it. Because what happened is there's no way that you could play a game with your life that was good enough to get to me. It wasn't going to happen. Because you see, all of us have sinned. But Christ is our redeeming hope. He bought us back. He's offered us as Romans speaks of this free gift. And so, that's one word. What's the other word? Hope. A second word to be defined. In our culture, we use that word in a very different way often than what the rest of the world, or what the biblical world would have seen when they spoke of hope, especially Christians in the New Testament and the Old Testament, really, when they spoke of hope. I mean, when we speak of hope, I speak of hope, and I'm thinking, all right, you know, I really do hope that the Rockets are going to win the NBA championship. I mean, like most people, right? Okay, maybe not. But I, do, I feel that way. Uh, we, we really hope that the, that the fast food person is going to get our order ready. We, we, we have this one spot we love to go to, fast food. And you know what? I can't think of a time in recent memory when it was right. Now, I know there's seven of us. I get that. But you know what? Somebody's missing this and somebody's missing that. And there's lettuce where it shouldn't have been and tomatoes where it shouldn't have been. And we didn't even know they served that. And you know, it just gets crazy. Ah, we hope. I hope, we, we hope our husband or wife remembers our wedding anniversary. We hope our kids do well on the star test. We hope our cowboys spend more time on the field than in jail. We hope, we hope, we hope. (laughs) And at the end of the day, our hope is best quantified as an unsure optimism. Sometimes nothing more than an I wish list. But in the Bible, we find hope defined as a strong and confident expectation. It's even more than what people felt when they were beginning to fill out their brackets and put Kentucky This hope the Bible speaks of 
is a firm assurance. And it's a firm assurance because of who is backing it up. You see, it's better than just a bank that is backed up by the FDIC. This hope is anchored in. It's backed up by the risen one. It's backed up by Christ. In the New Testament, we find hope mentioned as one of the three main elements of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. The Hebrew, we find the word for hope is kawa, and it's a patient endurance. Jeremiah writes, our hope, our trust is in you. In the New Testament, the hope is oftentimes attached, the word hope is attached to the truth that our trials will lead us to hope. Hope. Believing that, that, believing that which God has promised is true, that it has occurred, and that it will occur. First Peter, Peter speaks about this, speaks of it in ways that really designate it as the essence of Christianity. Listen, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a what? A living hope. How do we have it? It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What is Peter saying here? He's saying, listen, you can have a hope that is grounded in the resurrection and you can have that hope in the present. Did you read verse 6? Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And I just pause here and think, we've got a book out here that is called The Case for the Resurrection, and it is apologetics. I mean, it is, here's, here's, here's how you can know. Case for faith, case for Easter, case for the resurrection. A lot of books like that, they're amazing, they're wonderful. There are a lot of sermons that are preached that are amazing, phenomenal sermons that are preached on the apologetics of the resurrection. And it's great. I've done it. But I can tell you this, as we were just thinking through Saturday night, and as I was praying, and as I was reading, I was thinking through, and, and, and the word that just kept coming back to me is hope. And what, what I thought of was, we live in a place with a lot of excess, and that excess we can wrap around our lives in such a way that sometimes even the people closest to us don't see what's really broken and what's really hurting. And we can fool ourselves into believing that we don't need this hope. And so this message is for those of us in the room who would say, you know what? I need hope right now. Paul spoke about hope in Romans. He was encouraging the Christians there in this book when he spoke that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He's saying to the Christians, listen, I know your situation and it's difficult. It is not good. It is hard. This whole earth is under this amazing weight of sin and brokenness and destruction. I get it. 
but you can have hope even though our world is broken. He goes on, verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have, for we wait for it. Here we go. You can circle this word. We wait for it patiently. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, I want you to hold on to this hope that you have in the resurrected one. We can have hope today, even when we are tempted to give up, even when the disease is not healed, even when we are still in that difficult place with that relationship, with that life struggle. But you know what? At the end of the day, I can look in this and be reminded that what Paul says is, hold on, wait patiently. Christ is here. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through world, wordless groans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Paul is saying, listen, we can have a hope in the present even when, you ready for this? We don't see God. Even when we don't even know Christian of the early church, Christian of the 21st century church, even when we don't know what to say to him. Even when we don't have the words, even when we feel weak, even when life is confusing and we're afraid. And because of Christ, not only do we have this redeeming hope now, but we also have it in the future. Um, so so um, you, can, you can tell a lot about a person's life by a funeral. And uh, I, I was remembering back this week on uh, one of the students that uh, passed away that was in a student ministry of mine years ago. Her name was Candace. And Candace had said yes to Jesus, but her body was ravaged with cancer. And um, she... She was about to die, and I remember going over to her house and seeing her for, uh, I believe, what ended up being one of the very, very last days of her life. And her, her, her body was just barely hanging on. Um, but, uh, but her family, as they were grieving, uh, was, was, they were grieving, but it was a different kind of grieving. And, and, and that grieving really fleshed itself out when the funeral came because what they had asked us was, they said, you know what, could you, could you have the student worship band do some of what you do on Wednesday night for that funeral? I said, I'd, lo- I'd love to do that. They said, because you know, Candace gave her heart to Jesus and we really want this funeral to be a celebration of life because she's just entered life forever. And so we did. And it was a funeral that was just a real blessing to be a part of. And you know, there were years ago, the Murrow Federal Building was blown up. And at the time I was living in Oklahoma City, I was between jobs. I was about to come back here to finish seminary at Fort Worth. And I had a little time. And I, and I rushed to the scene. And I said, I'm a pastor. I'm going back to seminary. Do you need any help? And I wound up spending time for the next two weeks with these families that were in this roller coaster of grief, up and down, up and down. Are they going to find our loved one's body? Are they not? Are we going to find it? Are they not? You know, and we would just sit there in this undisclosed location with these families, just, just loving on them and praying for them and, and being there for them. And at the end of it all, uh, went to several funerals. And each one different. But I can tell you this. You could see which ones were grieving with hope and which ones were not. 
And I can tell you this, that in speaking to those families and hearing their stories and knowing their loved ones, the difference that was felt at those funerals was redeeming hope. And it was redeeming hope in the future that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15. We're almost done. I know it's a lot of scripture. Here we go. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye as the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And in the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself, in speaking about that day, in speaking about what was to come, in giving the disciples hope, because he knew their lives were about to be destroyed by what they were about to experience, that they still didn't fully understand. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And then I don't know if you're the kind of person that likes to go to the end of the story to see how it's laid out before you read through the whole book. And I don't mean to spoil it for you, but I'm going to in case you hadn't gotten there yet. Romans 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the order of things, order of things has passed away. So here's the newsflash. God hates death. And he hates it so much that he defeated it. And those who choose the life Christ has to offer. See, we aren't in the land of the living headed to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying headed to the land of the living. Death isn't the end of the road. It's just a bend. It's not a period. It's just a comma. Heaven is for real. Our future is secure. We will live for all of eternity in the land of no mores. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more suffering. No more heartache. So it really is hope for now and for our future. And this is the message that desperately needs to get out. As a matter of fact, the New Testament writers, inspired by the Spirit, have been inspiring us with these words, saying, listen, do you know someone who needs this redeeming hope? Ephesians 2.12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Remember the time when you were without hope. And think about those who you know now who don't have it. 1 Peter 3.15 But as you think about them in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so we come to the last quotation of the night. And it's by Oswald Chambers who wrote these words. Our Lord begins where we would never begin at the point of human hopelessness. The greatest blessing a person ever gets from God is the realization that if they are going to enter into his kingdom, it must be through the door of hopelessness. I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me. And I'm just going to 
go out on a whim here and say, I believe there might be some of us in here who showed up thinking, I'm coming for Easter. I'm coming to bring my kids to the egg hunt. I'm coming for what I, I know I should be doing at this time. Because it's tradition, because it's ritual, because deep down I know that it is real. But what God whispered in your ear is he's interested in filling the hopelessness that's deep down inside with hope. And so right now, I'm just going to invite you to be still and just listen to God. Maybe you're the person needing hope tonight. You walked in. You say, you know what? From where I sit, I feel pretty hopeless. And I realize tonight that I need Jesus. I need Jesus as Savior tonight, right now, on this weekend. He's already whispered it into my ear that I realize this is not as good as it gets. And I need him. And so what you would say is even though maybe I haven't thought about it consistently, it's been on me and it's been in me and I just can't escape the reality that I need Jesus. And it's as easy as saying something like this to him, saying, Jesus, I need you. That I'm a sinner. That I can't play a good enough game with my life to get to God. So God, I know that you sent Jesus for me. And I believe he was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day. By faith, I receive this free gift of salvation that I couldn't achieve on my own. So be my savior, be my king. Maybe what you would say tonight is, you know, I was just reminded that I've got access to the King of Kings. That he has the ability to breathe hope into my life. I know that I am a Christ follower. I know that I know Jesus. But I was just reminded tonight that he still wants to live out his dreams in my life. And that because of that redeeming hope, I really can live life in the spirit, the spirit that brings love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And that doesn't mean my circumstances are automatically gonna change, but it does mean that he has the power to transform me, to change my heart, to change my mind, to change my attitude and so maybe you would just say Jesus tonight thanks for reminding me that you haven't left the building and you are right here and that you're all I need and all I need to do is just come as I am and lay everything down at your feet